From Advisory Board, we are bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. We've talked about the collaborative efforts of competing healthcare institutions like the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals before. And on today's episode, I want to revisit the partnership they've forged. That way we can dig deeper into what both institutions learned from the COVID-19 pandemic and ultimately show how they're emerging from the crisis stronger together. To do that, I've invited Cleveland Clinic Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Robert Wiley, and University Hospital's Chief Operating Officer, Dr. Eric Beck. Bob, Eric, first question is, how long have the two of you actually known each other? Yeah, we've known of each other for a long time. We started working together closely with the uh, onset of the pandemic in March of uh, 2020. What was that actual meeting like, that first meeting? Panicky, because we were both looking at the video coming out of Asia. We were looking at hospitals in Wuhan and related uh, cities that were overwhelmed. We were looking at uh, bed capacity being superseded, and we also had a little idea of the infection rate and how many people might be infected. So there was a real sense of urgency with our first discussion. It was serendipitous that Bob and I had crossed paths probably 10 years ago and knew knew of each other, as Bob said. We were colleagues. But uh, uh, comforting to know that I at least had a a beginning of a relationship with my colleague uh, at the the Cleveland Clinic. Like Bob said, I think there was a lot of uncertainty and the opportunity for us to uh, share that with each other immediately helped establish trust. We've talked on Radio Advisory about this partnership between the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals before. Actually, we had your CEOs on a few months ago, and they also kind of talked about the first time that they met. They had just happened to sit down for dinner, I think right before the pandemic actually hit, to explore this idea of working together, even though your two organizations are are, are pretty darn fierce competitors. We all, of course, know what happens next. COVID-19 totally turned the world upside down and I think, frankly, caught our industry off guard. I want you to take me back to the very beginning of the pandemic. How was it that your two institutions realized that this problem was much bigger than any one hospital and you really needed to work together? Modeling that was done suggested that we could have thousands and thousands of patients. So it became evident very early on that it superseded our total hospital capacity in Northern Ohio and in Cuyahoga County, and that each of us was going to have to try to manage not only our own patients, but patients probably from other systems, which were a little less sophisticated, who needed to be transferred into Cleveland Clinic or University Hospital. So the data was not looking good, and you realized this is not a Cleveland Clinic problem, not even a global problem. This is a a problem that's going to be affecting our community specifically. In a major way, and not only the hospitals, but we really hadn't done that much with public health. Hmm. The county and the city departments of health kind of functioned independently from the major hospital systems. And so we had to make connections between congregate housing facilities because new older people were going to be especially affected by this virus. We knew that coming out of Asia. We knew the numbers were going to be significant. We didn't know how significant they might be. We knew that we didn't have enough hospital beds. And we knew we were going to have to hook up with county health departments as well. So all of that, I think, was on our plate as Eric and I first started to talk. And there's something about two operations, people talking, you immediately kind of sync up. 
Yeah, and I think it's hard for people to kind of remember just how frenzied those first few weeks are, right? We're looking at a year and a half since that first onset of COVID-19, but I don't know that frenzied is even the right word to describe what needed to happen in those first few weeks. So when it came to the operations, Eric, I wonder if you can tell me where did you actually decide that you needed to work together? During one of our first calls, Bob and I started talking about data. And uh, as two of the largest providers in the northern portion of the state, our combined data would allow us to really get a handle on how quickly things were developing to give us uh, the signal or the, the the smoke before the fire, so to speak. We really hit it off, got our teams together, and within literally a matter of days, we had combined our testing data, our COVID testing data for both of our organizations and really got quickly to work there. I think the other piece that was an early operational win was really aligning on common policy in which we hmm. said both of our organizations need to have uniform guidelines. Otherwise, our frontline caregivers are going to be confused or not trust the advice because there are different recommendations coming out across the street. And I think those two were the the, the real tip of the spear for me. So basically, you've had this moment of there is no reason for our two organizations to reinvent the wheel, especially when the stakes are as high as a global crisis. So let's have combined data, combined recommendations for our clinicians themselves. What else were those kind of essential pieces that when it came to fighting COVID-19, you said we are better off together than working separately? I think public messaging was very important uh, as well. We needed a combined public message, particularly in the Cuyahoga County. If the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospital presented a different face to the public about what the recommendations were going to be, that would have been very mm. confusing for the public. Mm -hmm. And so we needed to make sure that we were aligned in terms of the public messaging. I think another element was we both adopted a test and treat in place, particularly for congregate living and the post-acute facilities. And mm -hmm. our ability to join forces there allowed us to contain a lot of patient volume in those facilities and prevent our hospitals from being overwhelmed. So I think that that really resonated to me as another opportunity where competition was completely absent from the equation. It was really about how do we divide and conquer and as we took that strategy to the state, Bob and I had to, to role model that same type of approach for other areas in the state that were perhaps a little earlier in the journey to having systems come together. That's right. Because if I can use a, a kind of a military analogy, right, there is a common enemy that will require a common approach to data and messaging and therapeutics and research and eventually vaccinations in order to make an impact. So, so what has that impact been on your region and maybe on the state of Ohio more broadly? The biggest advance within the state of Ohio has been forming zones. UH and Cleveland Clinic led the is zone one, which is approximately 50% of the population of the state of Ohio. It has about 450 of the 900 congregate facilities for the elderly population and the population uh, who's challenged with uh, significant medical problems. And we knew again, 450 facilities, how do, we, how do we work together to manage all those facilities? Because any one of us could have been overwhelmed. Hmm. So the idea is we also had to develop a load balancing system between primarily between UH and the Cleveland Clinic because we've got the greatest capacity. 
I think the ability for both of our organizations to uh, rapidly activate our incident command systems allowed us to have intraoperable structures that we could then dock with each other and with other health systems in the zone and ultimately across the state to synchronize our operations, to do the load balancing that, that Bob referenced, and to coordinate our response in a way that really ensured uniformity in a time in which there were scarce resources and a fair amount of uncertainty regarding evolving guidance, changes in modeling predictions. So I think that common structure allowed us to quickly synergize each other's efforts. And let's be honest, in a way that really saved lives and protected a workforce that, I mean, you said it yourself, Bob, could have very easily been overwhelmed. And thank goodness, because of this partnership, because of the efforts of competing organizations, that didn't happen. We never hit that that kind of worst case scenario in the state of Ohio. And both of us worked very hard to set up a kind of a triad. And the triad was a local hospital, even if it wasn't a Cleveland clinic or a university hospital. It was a local health department, and then it was a, a skilled nursing facility or a congregate living center to, to make sure that every local area had somebody that they could rely on and call. And then it was really our job, and we set up a system right away for an emergency line to call. If you're getting overwhelmed, call, and we would start load balancing the patients. Hmm. We actually had an early experience with Elton Fed, Federal Penitentiary in Columbia County. They've got about 2,500 inmates, 300 employees. And within three or four weeks, starting in April of 2020, about 1,200 of them became infected, quickly overwhelming the East Liverpool and Salem hospitals. And we set up our transfer line, transferred them into Akron. And then as soon as Akron started to get full, we brought them up to Cleveland. Now, I know I started this conversation by by asking about how you two came together, which was in a time of crisis. But the partnership, the broader partnership between Cleveland Clinic and university hospitals is about more than just COVID-19, right? We talked about this on our last episode, how you're working together on shared services, broader research, bringing the best talent to the Cleveland area, and so on. So when it comes to these, these kind of broader areas of partnership, I'm just curious at a high level, what strengths do you think each organization brings to the table? And how do you actually leverage those with somebody who is supposed to be your competitor? Well, I'll give you an example of Northern Ohio Trauma System, which University and Metro and Cleveland Clinic are part of. We joined uh, several years ago, and we've actually improved trauma care within the city of Cleveland. And so university's got a level one trauma system at the main campus, both for adult and pediatric. We've got two level twos at Fairview and Hillcrest Hospital, which are on the east and west side of the city. Metro has a level one, and we've got a level one in Akron. But if you aggregate all that together, if somebody gets an, has trauma or an accident or a gunshot or anything else, we can get them to the nearest appropriate level trauma center. And we've developed hmm. common policies and common transfer arrangements for all, any patient who gets in trouble. There are strengths in the literal assets that each of your organizations have with the goal of helping the community. Eric, what in your mind are are some of the different strengths that each institution brings to the table? The opportunity was to leverage our shared nonprofit community benefit focus. Mm. We both really have the same mission at the end of the day. And if we can align on the same problem 
the ability to move the needle there quickly is really unbelievable, leveraging all those assets and expertise of the combined organization. So we think about a system of care not being just within a single health system, but really within a, a region or a geography. The ability to leverage data and to pool the talent around that data, to me, are probably enduring examples of how collaboration is not competitive, but in fact, synergistic. Two plus two equals 10 in some cases. <laughs> Eric, you just perked my ears because you're talking about the benefits of acting as a system, which if I'm honest, the conversations I have with healthcare organizations typically means within one organization, right? The ability of a provider to make progress because of its scale, not in spite of it, right? Acting as one unified organization. And that is difficult in its own right when you talk about making complex decisions, doing that centrally, rapidly, operating consistently, right? This is what individual organizations struggle with every single day. And it strikes me that the success or failure of this partnership has a lot to do with that same element of systemness. The challenge is that you are not one organization. You are sort of a system of systems. So let's talk about what that means practically. What processes did you even have to put in place to take two competing organizations and actually come to consensus on what decisions you were going to make? We had a wonderful battle rhythm of calls, daily calls and, and email sharings and uh, analytical team outputs that allowed us to really role model the power of two large anchor institutions in the state coming together. And, and that wasn't an authority, that was merely a, a role modeling exercise. And so I think when two like-minded organizations can look at a common problem, align their assets and expertise intentionally around solving that problem, there's a followership that quickly developed. And I think that, that the entire region and the entire state benefited from those types of relationships being forged quickly and then wrapping it with a, a cadence of daily calls to coordinate across institutions. Was there ever difficulty coming to consensus? I have to imagine that there was a time when, you know, maybe it was the two of you or, or some leader at UH said, I think this is step one and step two. And someone at Cleveland Clinic said, no, I think that's step three and step four. How did you deal with that? I think it was surprisingly smooth, to be honest with you. Hmm. Occasionally, Eric and I would talk on the have individual phone calls apart from the other teams. Uh, certainly, if I had any major question, I called Eric or if we were going to put out a policy, I shot it over to Eric for review by him and the UH team to make sure that it was in sync with what uh, what we're thinking about, like what type of surgery are we going to continue to do? What are we going to do with employees? What, what PPE are employees going to wear? And, and are, it's going to be N95 mask or regular surgical mask and all those type of things to make sure that our employees felt safe with each other. But I, I think it was remarkably smooth. But did you have a process in place to deal with disagreement? That would just be a phone call between Eric and I, and, and those were usually quick, to be honest with you. Hmm. I don't remember a long discussion that we had over policy. I think we leveraged our internal experts. We would oftentimes tell them to all get on a Zoom together and kind of hash it out, you know, put the best thinking, have the debate between, you know, three, four, five systems or teams and 
you know, I think that the the output of those discussions were better for the the richness of input. And, hmm. and there were there were a couple of times where perhaps Bob and I would agree to disagree, but it was nothing that we could we could never solve for, as as Bob said, with a quick phone call. And I think that's the power of relationships and hmm. the power of cultivating those relationships, particularly uh, when you're fighting a, a, a common a common cause. When the troops know that that you're going to have to agree and that you're going to have to come to consensus. And Eric and I project that for the people in operations. I also, and I think that's what Eric's talking about in terms of getting the people who are working with us to say, look, get the groups together, come to some consensus. But they know that we have to have consensus and we're going to drive consensus. And it strikes me that that leadership moment is probably even more important when you're talking about a a cross-system partnership, because you do have to reflect the idea that you're practicing the collaboration that you are preaching. Whenever we would agree to disagree about something, it was almost always something that was institutionally centric and really didn't have a consequence for the broader public health or regional response. I can't Hmm. think of a single example in which Bob and I and, and the rest of our teams didn't align on shared approaches to problems because we knew that that there had to be a common path or we would create confusion or risk the execution. Which, by the way, is a hallmark of systemness, right? Systemness isn't that even within one organization, every single practice, every single region, every single site of care needs to operate the exact same way. It's a matter of navigating where is variability welcome and where is it going to hurt that common goal. But it strikes me that you're talking about a process that is very crisis-driven. Daily meetings, let's all get on a Zoom call, let's hash this out on a phone call. And that's probably not sustainable in the long term. How has the operations of the partnership evolved since the beginning of the crisis? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's uh, crisis-driven. I would say it's problem-driven and the size of the problem. Hmm. COVID came on very abruptly, and it meant that we had to achieve the system this between the two hospital systems and delivery systems that you're talking about, the two largest in the state. But there are other ones that we've been thinking about for a while such as drug addiction, infant mortality. Mm. Those are beyond either one system. In fact, they're beyond both systems put together because there you have to get back into public health, the city of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County. You have to bring everything together. So I think with the analytics that we've done, which are now uh, operationally live in the state of Ohio with geospatial analytics, and that's probably the biggest accomplishment in terms of legacy that I think that we're leaving, is a data system where we can see all kinds of trends in real time, not Mm. only from another pandemic should have come, but also things like how many people are getting in trouble with uh, new opioids coming into the country and we don't know what their constituents are, what they're made of. We're taking a look at infant mortality and why is it as high as it is in certain areas. So I think there's huge opportunity based on the geospatial analytics that we put together statewide. You're talking about big systems coming together to tackle big, frankly, public health problems. And you just mentioned two of them. Are those the next areas of focus for this partnership? Well, considering where, uh, considering where Cleveland is in terms of its infant mortality rate, one of the, uh, one of the highest in uh, any county in the United States, and the same is true for drug addiction. So I think these are major problems despite the fact of the healthcare power of these two huge systems. 
we, we still have challenges. And I think those are two things that I think both our CEOs have put on their radar in terms of trying to address. Since the height of the pandemic, we've had enduring teams around a number of initiatives, and these are, are but two. I think the ability to carry that same approach that Bob referenced into more longstanding and enduring structural public health issues in our region is is really what we're committed to. And, and we're you know a year into that now and feel, yeah. feel like we've got our footing underneath us. I do think data unlocks a lot of opportunity to collaborate. And that's a, uh, a key puzzle piece that I think the pandemic unlocked for us. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. As we know, the complexity of building a partnership is a lot harder than just two leaders coming together for a shared purpose. So we've actually added a link in our show notes to a white paper that the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals co-authored. It goes into detail on the partnership that they've built, how it helped them combat the COVID-19 pandemic, and outlines where they're going next. You can see more at the link in our show notes. I love this idea of switching from a crisis to enduring problems. But but I do think that that is easier said than done, especially when, let's be honest, the entire workforce has been sprinting <laughs> to try to get ahead of this you know, very, very real crisis that we've been dealing with for the last year and a half. So as you think about carrying that momentum forward, dealing with infant mortality, dealing with the opioid crisis, what has been the essential features to keeping that momentum going and being able to tackle some of these enduring challenges? Well, I think both of those that you just mentioned are related to healthcare directly. I mean, not only do we see the infants in our newborn units, which we both have, but we also, in our emergency department, see a lot of opioid and drug addiction problems. On a daily basis, we have people coming in, either overdosing or actually dying from overdose. So this is something which affects us every day. So I think those two are going to be relatively easy to, in terms of the enthusiasm of the workforce. I mean, we all went into mm. medicine for a reason. And so I think that's part, that's part of the reason why people went in is to help. How about the practicalities, right? Because you talked about things like sharing the actual load of making sure that no facility became overwhelmed with COVID. Can you give me kind of a practical example, you know, of how you would leverage this data or, or the research that you do or the workforce that you're, you're partnering on in order to tackle some of these challenges? One example is really around workforce and really connecting with some communities inside of the city of Cleveland in which we've put both of our data on the table, compared notes, and we've actually jointly branded initiatives inside of high schools, inside of local community organizations to help build pipeline strategies to solve our healthcare workforce shortage. That's a very tactical example of the power of our data. I think the other piece that's really important is the power of inviting others into the partnership. So- hmm. 
We've partnered with public health through the pandemic and in many of these enduring structural issues, public health or city county officials are very important pieces of the team. The other component is understanding if there are other health systems or other healthcare organizations, whether it's federally qualified health centers or other providers that can help be part of the solution. Yeah, that's really interesting to me because we're talking about the fact that these problems are bigger than any one organization. But let's be honest, they're also bigger than the combination of Cleveland Clinic and university hospitals combined. So what is the process in place to add other institutions, competitors or partners, right? Like these public health institutions, what's the process for adding them to your system of systems? So I think we're both partnering with the Ohio Department of Health and the Ohio Hospital Association in terms of the analytics for the Ohio Hospital Association. But I was just on a call this morning with the Ohio Department of Health talking about what these cooperative arrangements are going to be coming out of COVID. And as we lose our focus on COVID and and have the opportunity to move into other public health measures, what does that look like? So I think we've done a lot. We've got the communication. And I think we've part of this, we still have to figure out. But we don't want to lose all the forged relationships and the working, particularly the working relationships that we have with public health if we're really going to address these problems. It's going to be a public-private partnership between the large healthcare delivery systems, the cities and the counties, the city health departments and the county health departments if we're going to make progress on these large issues. It's been an inclusive approach from the beginning. So everyone is welcome. Any constituency or organization that can be part of the solution is is welcome. And as as Bob said, that's been at a state level, at a regional level, at a city level. And it cuts across not only healthcare providers and health systems, but anyone else who community leaders, faith-based organizations, officials, uh, all have have been welcomed. And and that's a, a guiding principle. What about other kind of large healthcare institutions? I'm thinking health plans, tech companies, vendors, right? The kind of life sciences companies that also have a stake in massive challenges like COVID-19, like infant mortality, like the opioid crisis. How do you bring them into the fold? Both the Cleveland Clinic and the university, both of us are working with the large Medicaid providers within the state of Ohio. There are six of them. CareSource is probably the name of the largest one in the, in the Cleveland area, but we're working directly with the executives at those uh, within those organizations to see how we're going to provide not only COVID care, but ongoing care after that. A lot of these are people who have significant uh, challenges that need to be addressed. It can be transportation. It can be poverty, being homebound, and how do we get our care delivery systems to work within those confines, and what does that look like? I would say both before the pandemic, accelerated by the pandemic, and after the pandemic, we have teams that are collaborating on innovative solutions to both COVID and non-COVID challenges in healthcare. And whether those are startup companies, whether those are payers that are willing to pilot new approaches, there's a an ecosystem that that was present before the pandemic that was collaborative. But I think the, the pandemic exercise really allowed us to uh, see that ecosystem come to life in tackling hmm. some of the more contemporary challenges. Well, I am deeply impressed with your ability to kind of reach across the aisle and, and develop a very, very robust partnership that's not just at the at the kind of executive level, but really has an operational 
backbone as well. But I don't want to pretend that any process or partnership is perfect. What stumbling blocks did you hit along the way that you want to help our listeners avoid? I'm speaking honestly from my point of view with the ease of communication that we had. Even if we disagreed on some policies or the exact wording of a policy, the intent was always the same. We're also both trying to improve the health care of individuals who live within uh, Northeast Ohio. So our goal is, is aligned with each other. I think the fact that we're competitors in cardiac disease and in, uh, in other individual service lines, of course, we're, we're, we're trying to get better and we're both trying to innovate. On the other hand, I think having a major competitor sitting uh, uh, right next to each other in the city of Cleveland probably makes both of us a little bit better. It pushes both of us to continue to innovate, to continue to strive. So I actually don't see it as a negative when we're, quote, competing with each other. I mean, we're competing on outcomes, trying to get better. We learn from each other. There's a large case cancer organization, which includes both the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, centered at Case Western University. That organization has been around for, Eric, maybe a decade or so where we combine research activities. We do combined research all, all the time, which greatly probably facilitates our ability to maintain funding and to provide uh, outcomes in terms of getting to answers much quicker. So you don't feel like this partnership has prevented you from being able to rightfully compete, right? Which is important because very, very like-minded organizations like yourselves make for a good partnership but it also means you're kind of trying to go down the same path, maybe even acquiring the same institutions in the market or going looking at similar growth opportunities. And I can imagine that that can be difficult in some moments, or, or maybe it hasn't been a problem. I think at the end of the day, competition is ultimately neither good nor bad. It's really the character of the organizations and how they hmm. choose to behave. And I would say that, you know, Bob and I are part of rival organizations, but there's a mutual respect and admiration for each other's organizations and each other as individuals that I think allows us to not focus on the competitive dimension, but understand how uh, neither of us has to lose for each of us to win. And in fact, we can win together uh, when we come together around those things that um, are areas of cooperation. Cooperation. Like the two words, cooperation and competition together, has that become a rallying cry? I will say that healthcare in general has a little different attitude towards competition. And so that if somebody does something better and their outcomes are significantly different or better than uh, somebody else, all of us will, will pick up the phone and say, what are you doing? How did you do that? How did mm. you achieve those results? And every healthcare system that I've ever called has been quite willing to say, this is what we're doing. Yeah, there's no secret sauce in healthcare. No. We we want to share the secret sauce with the masses. Yeah. It's it's about people and it's about making people better. So the type of people who go into medicine in general are are very quick to share whatever advances they have. Like I said, I I'm really proud of what the two of you have built. And I think when you look back at the processes, the initiatives, the results that you've been able to get over the last 18 months. And as you're looking towards the future, you've probably had really proud moments yourself. So I want you to look back for me. What's the best thing that this partnership has produced in your mind? I think there's a fondness for the teams that 
that have come together that that is uh, continuing today. And those relationships really emerged and flourished during the pandemic. But the uh, ability to engage in an ongoing partnership, I think, is really what what has me most proud. And I'll certainly second that from Eric, but we'll add the geospatial analytic platform that we have developed within Case Western University, University Hospitals and Cleveland Clinic, and then mm-hmm. take, taken that statewide to give us a data system, which is unique to the state of Ohio in terms of early recognition of problems or trends. And I think that's going to serve us well moving into the future. Which is exactly where I want to go next. If both of you just looked back, now I want to ask you to look forward. I want you to roll the tape forward, you know, five years into the future. What do you hope the partnership between your institution looks like in five years? And what are you going to do to make sure that you hit that reality? I'd love for us to make a dent in a couple of these enduring public health challenges in our ecosystem. And we're making great strides on that. But to see the the results of continued persistent collaboration in that vein uh, in five years could really mean the difference for our community. I'm personally going to commit to a regular uh, uh, coffee with, with Bob, whether that's uh, by video or, uh, or in person, <laughs> because uh, our, our relationship is, um, is really better for the, uh, the time we've, we've had a chance to spend together over the past couple of years. And I think our organizations are better because of that. I'll agree. I th- we want to maintain the structure and the communication that we have, not only with each other, but with the, uh, with the county and the city boards of health, as well as the uh, nursing facilities that, uh, that are many of our elderly and disabled people live in in the state of Ohio so that we can continue to leverage those relationships and improve the health of uh, Northern Ohio. Well, Bob, Eric, I want to thank you so much for coming on Radio Advisory. Before I let you go, I do have one final question to ask you, and it's sort of a moment for you to speak to our listeners directly and to give them an action item that they can take back to their region, to their institution, and maybe even adopt some of these partnership mentalities themselves, what's the one thing that you want our listeners to do as a result of listening to this conversation? I think in healthcare, we all have peer groups, and uh, oftentimes they're from you know, larger societies or organizations. But I would encourage everyone listening to find a few people that you don't know in competing or other community-based organizations and reach out and develop a relationship. Hmm. Find a shared opportunity to collaborate and see where it goes because we certainly unlocked a lot of potential in our organizations through, uh, through the pandemic. And uh, I will say this isn't over yet. Go out and get immunized if you haven't. And secondly, <laughs> I would say remain engaged. Uh, not only interested in what's happening, but remain mm. engaged in public health, remain thoughtful and knowledgeable of what, uh, of what information is out there and aware. Thank you both so much for coming on Radio Advisory. Thank you. Thanks. Finding common ground with competitors is still uncharted territory for most of the healthcare industry. And to be honest, it will require leaders to suspend their own ego and explore relationships that were previously undefined. 
But as we learned from the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals, this cooperation is the single best way to support the broader community. And it's a model that we want you to emulate. So remember, as always, we are here to help. What stumbling blocks did you hit along the way that you want to help our listeners avoid? Oh, the answer cannot be nothing. (laughs) 